0: Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, Moon Stuff. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Today I am not joined by any guests, but I am here to share my take on the premiere episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The episode is titled New World Order. First, a note on the structure of this season of There Was an Idea. For each episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I'm going to take a similar approach to what I did for WandaVision. So, not a beat-by-beat breakdown of the episode, but rather an analysis of big ideas, standout moments, and character development. Like with WandaVision, I'm going to start off with broad thoughts and general reactions first, but then I'm going to change it up a little bit. From the very beginning of There Was An Idea, I've been interested in focusing on the overarching concepts that connect the various stories of the MCU. Concepts like identity and community, Those themes continue to play a big role in WandaVision, and I anticipate that they will also be a big part of what we see in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But of course, we also saw grief and trauma emerge as big concepts in WandaVision as well. So I'm thinking what I will do with The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is for each episode, I'm going to put forth, there was an idea about, and make a claim about a big idea or concept in the episode and then discuss favorite moments, share some character observations, and analyze symbols and motifs that connect to that big idea. And I'm not going to do all of this alone. I do have some guests lined up, both familiar and new, as we progress throughout this season of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you have any feedback on the new format, or if you are interested in being a guest on the show, feel free to hit me up at anidea_podcast underscore podcast on Instagram or Twitter. So let's get into it my first reactions to episode one of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. First, I'll say I absolutely loved the decision to open the episode on a quiet, personal moment for Sam. And then the way this quiet, reflective moment was immediately followed up by the big action scene of the episode absolutely worked for me in terms of setting the tone, not just for this episode, but for the series. And it did remind me a bit of Captain America the Winter Soldier, which of course opens on the Washington Monument running scene, which is not exactly a quiet contemplative moment for just Steve because of course Sam is in that scene too, but it is personal and it does ground the audience in where Steve is at emotionally at the beginning of the movie. And then of course it's followed by the awesome action scene on the ship. And the action scene we get here in Falcon also features Batroc the Leaper, which I thought was a fun surprise. The opening scene with Sam and the Shield was not the only scene in which I found myself really enjoying the way the episode takes its time with the characters. I found some of the directing choices very beautiful and compelling. Sam's reflection is shown a couple of times, the Smithsonian scene is stunning, and the framing of Bucky and his therapist in the scene in her office is also very intriguing. These are all also some of my favorite moments that I'm going to dig into in more depth in a little bit. One of the things that surprised me at first, but in a really good way, was that Sam and Bucky are not actually teamed up yet in episode 1. In fact, they don't share a scene together at all. And I think this was a really good decision. Focusing on each of these characters individually, and the relationships that they have outside of characters we already know, is going to make it all the more satisfying when they do come together, and the show seems to be taking its time, inviting us to fall in love with Sam, to fall in love with Bucky, who they are what makes them tick, what their motivations are, who they are alone, before we consider them in relationship to one another. And before perhaps they step into bigger superhero roles in the MCU, such as Sam potentially taking on the mantle of Captain America. And while I'm just as excited as the next MCU fan to see some of these characters who I've come to love in their appearances in the MCU so far, interact with each other, Sam and Bucky and Rhodey and knowing that Sharon Carter and Zemo are coming, uh, I also found it really enjoyable to be introduced to some new characters. And one of the things that WandaVision did so well was introduce new characters who we could grow invested in in the same ways that we fell in love with the characters that we've known for years. So in this episode, we get introduced to Torres, who I immediately liked from his first scene when he's cheering Falcon on from the ground, and then the follow-up scene in which they're uh, sitting at the table in Tunisia chatting. He is immediately a very likable character, who I was glad to see made it through episode one not only intact, mostly, but also set up to be a good guy, (laughs) and I hope that remains true. Another new character who I anticipate will be around for most of the season and who I really enjoyed was Sam's sister, not just for her role in revealing more about Sam as a character to us, the audience, but also liked her relationship with him. It felt like a believable sibling relationship, and she was funny, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of her and her sons. So those were some of my first broad thoughts on the episode. And now I want to move into some analysis. In episode one of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, there was an idea about legacy. I went into the show expecting that this would be a big theme, going all the way back to uh, Sam's voiceover quote in the first trailer, I believe, that came out. He says the legacy of that shield is complicated, and I chose that to be the title of the 4.0 episode that I did, introducing this season of There Was An Idea and reflecting on Sam and Bucky's journeys in the MCU so far. So check that out if you are interested. But to me, that quote really uh, sets up what I believe this show will be about. And I do think we saw a lot of evidence to that in episode one. The shield also is our main symbol here connected to that idea of legacy. I'll dig into Sam's relationship to the S.H.I.E.L.D. and Sam's relationship to Steve's legacy, Captain America's legacy, as I get into my favorite scenes in just a few moments. But one thing I'll note here is that Sam's rejection of the S.H.I.E.L.D., juxtaposed to his intense, uh, relentless even, desire to hold on to his family's boat, which represents his parents' legacy, is intriguing. And it had me thinking, not on first watch, but on second watch, that perhaps some of his insistence to not sell his family's boat at the annoyance of his sister and that stubbornness that was coming out, I wonder if that was meant to suggest that Sam is struggling with the decision to give up the other legacy that he was bequeathed. Maybe I'm bringing in too much interpretation into that, But I do think that there are a few moments in this episode in which you can see that he may already have some regret or at least mixed feelings about his decision to turn that shield over to the museum, especially in the last scene. And we'll get there. So this idea of legacy is going to be very important for Sam, and it's also going to be important for Bucky, maybe in a little bit of a different way. Bucky, of course, is struggling with what his own legacy will be. He's lived far longer than most humans do, although, of course, he was frozen for some of it, blipped for some of it, and not actually himself for some of it. The Winter Soldier has a legacy, and it's not a good one, and it's not one that Bucky wants to be associated with or identified with. We see that conflict in the way that he makes amends as part of his pardon. We know that he is in these therapy sessions, and he has to make amends for what he's done wrong. And rule number three that he has to follow is letting the people who perhaps he's wronged know that he is not the Winter Soldier. He is James Buchanan Barnes. So this idea of this legacy preceding him that is not one that he wants to hold is interesting as well and does connect to Sam's story. And it is going to be really fun and really powerful when we do get to see these guys interact. So we have Legacy, and as I said, some of my favorite moments in the episode are going to connect to that theme as well. But in episode one, there was also an idea about collective trauma. And again, we saw trauma emerge as a huge theme in WandaVision. And what's interesting is that while that show dealt with Wanda's very personal traumas, we also are set in this post-Endgame moment. These two shows have that in common. And as we kind of know from our own lives right now, dealing with the collective experience of the COVID 19 pandemic, everything is touched by these huge life altering, world altering, in the case of the MCU, universe altering events. So for our characters in WandaVision, for our characters in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for our characters in Spider Man Far From Home, the shared history the collective trauma of the blip and then everyone coming back from the blip is something that is always part of the landscape it's interesting to think about how what we've seen already in the mcu post endgame has dealt with that both head-on uh has dealt with that through personal struggles that may be individual to certain characters experiences and has also dealt with that in terms of The representation of the zeitgeist of the times within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this show set that up nicely, I think. This post blip world, this post return from the blip world, in which everybody has gone through this shared experience, but the personal experiences have been so different. And you're kind of seeing factions of people emerge who are looking for some ideas to get behind to perhaps process, or make sense of, or try to make the world better after this collective traumatic event. This comes up in a few different ways in the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We have the conversation between Sam and Torres in Tunisia. Torres is playing with this app on his phone, where a red hand shows up to identify the Flag Smashers group, and He gives us some exposition in that scene that the Flag Smashers are a group who believes the world was better during the blip. And of course, Sam replies, every time something gets better for one group, it gets worse for another. Torres tells us that the Flag Smashers' M.O. is that they want a world that is unified with no borders. And he even says, you can see why people are into that right now. Already, it sets us up to look at our villains who were assuming are going to be our villains in this story, uh, to set them up in such a way that we kind of have that understanding of where they may be coming from. It's something that we've had with all of the good villains in the MCU. You hear what Killmonger has to say, you hear what Thanos has to say, and you, or I guess I'll speak for myself, I disagree with the means by which they are attempting to achieve their goals 100%. That is what makes them villains. But you can kind of see where the goal itself, or the end, while it doesn't justify the means, you can kind of see where they're coming from. And I appreciate that in text, Torres acknowledges that here. And while we certainly see that the Flag Smasher's approach to navigating the post-blip world is certainly one that is not healthy or productive... Uh, certainly one that is very violent and does harm to others. And therefore we can't get behind it. We also see that the other extreme that is represented in the last scene of the show in which the spokesperson on behalf of the U S government talks about kind of the, the extreme opposite. So not this world without any borders, but this idea of retreating into and focusing on what, just this one country of America needs. He says Americans feel vulnerable. They love heroes who put their lives on the line to defend Earth, but they need a hero to defend this country, a real person who embodies America's values, someone to inspire us again, a symbol for all of us. And, of course, that's when he introduces that the U.S. has a new hero, and it is the new, quote-unquote, Captain America, who, of course, I personally do not accept as my Captain America, <laughs> and I know I'm not alone in that, and by Sam's face in that scene, you can see the regret all over his face. But it's interesting. So we're set up in episode one, okay, flag smashers, bad guys, but this new Captain America may be also a bad guy. So maybe both extremes here are not the answer. It's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. And the other thing I found very interesting about the way that this show... Is presenting this idea of the collective trauma and the post endgame world is how these superheroes are treated we get a couple of moments in this episode that i think are very intentional the man in tunisia who identifies sam as an avenger and thanks him for bringing his wife back so a very positive reception of seeing sam out in public we have sam's sister who of course is more personally connected to him and is almost a little bit flippant in the way that she talks about him fighting monsters and aliens or whatever. And you know of course there's a little bit of that sibling relationship there that obviously she respects him and what he has done. but there's almost this sense of resentment in a way of uh, the fact that he has been doing that while she has been dealing with more of the the personal legacy family issues. We also have the scene in the bank in which Sam talks about the goodwill that has been afforded to a lot of the Avengers because of the public's respect and love for them and appreciation for what they did. And we also see in that same scene that while the banker is very excited to take a selfie with Sam... He's also a little disrespectful, trying to get a selfie with his arms out when he's not about to approve the loan. And even the way that he references Tony Stark in such a flippant manner and says, my condolences, by the way, he doesn't feel very genuine or very authentic. So I do think these moments are interesting. I think we're going to see more of them. You know, in WandaVision, we clearly saw director Hayward, who was antagonistic toward, I believe he calls them, superpowered individuals and is antagonistic toward Monica Rambeau for her history of sympathizing with superpowered individuals. So I do think we are going to see more of that. Again, I'm also thinking about Spider-Man Far From Home more and more as I've been watching WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It really helps to recontextualize some of what was going on in Far From Home and how, you know, some of the lines in that movie about how people believe anything these days connects with the conspiracy theories that Torres brings up here. Makes me want to revisit that movie. And again, just think about this bigger scene of what the post-Endgame world is like and what is the role of heroes in it. So it's going to be a very, very cool ride, especially now that we see the government-approved Captain America. And then we also know about Sam, who is the real Captain America's choice to have his legacy What is that going to look like? So getting back to this idea of legacy, there are three big moments from the episode that I really want to highlight here, both in how they connect to that larger theme and also because they are my personal favorite moments from episode one. So first, the opening scene of the episode. As I mentioned before, it's this quiet, reflective moment for Sam before we get hit with the big action scene. Sam is ironing his shirt, he's putting on a suit, he looks in the mirror, he looks at the shield, he puts the shield in the bag. And I needed to see him here in this moment to really appreciate him flying around fighting in the scene afterward. Maybe that's just me, but I really enjoy the quiet moments with our characters that help us to really understand where they're at emotionally, and to sympathize and empathize with them. These moments are the ones that make the characters feel human. And because we see them being human, it makes seeing them larger than life more satisfying. To me anyway. This scene also has the voiceover from the end of Endgame, in which Sam tells the returned Steve that it feels like somebody else's when he gives him the shield and Steve says it isn't. While I don't think it was necessary to both hear that snippet here and hear Sam verbally allude to it later in the scene with Rhodey, I do understand the decision to have Steve's voice present in the scene because of that idea of legacy. In universe, we have Sam who's Frankly, Steve's voice would probably be in his head all the time, especially when he is looking at that shield, which represents not just everything that Steve was, everything that he did for the country, the, the world, the Avengers, but their relationship to one another. They were friends. And out of the story, you know, for us as viewers to put us in that moment of, This show is part of the legacy of what Captain America has been to the MCU and what Steve Rogers and Chris Evans have been to the MCU. The second moment I want to discuss a little bit more is my number one favorite scene from the episode, and it begins with Sam's speech about Steve and the S.H.I.E.L.D. at the Smithsonian, but really the standout part for me is his walk with Rhodey through the Captain America exhibit. During his speech, Sam says that Steve represented the best in all of us. Courageous, righteous, hopeful, mastered posing stoically. So get some of that Sam humor in there, which is great. But these qualities, courageous, righteous, hopeful, these are qualities that we also see in Sam, that I think Sam wants to see in himself. There's something to Sam's speech that he's almost trying to convince himself that he's making the right decision. And I think Anthony Mackie plays it in such a way, or at least I'm interpreting it, that you can kind of see on his face that he's, that he is maybe trying to convince himself that this was the right thing to do. He talks about how the world has been forever changed. There was all this turmoil when people reappeared. And he says this big line, we need new heroes, ones suited for the time we're in. Symbols are nothing without the women and men who give them meaning. And this thing, I don't know if there's ever been a greater symbol, but it's more about the man who propped it up, and he's gone. He talks about honoring Steve's legacy and looking to the future. And says, so thank you, Captain America, but this belongs to you. When he says we need new heroes one suited for the times we're in, I can't help but think of Sam. (laughs) What better hero to step forth in this post-Endgame world than Sam? He worked with Steve. He's demonstrated the same qualities. He has fought on the side of good. He could give that symbol meaning. But he's wrestling with it. For him, the shield is all about the man who propped it up, and he's gone. And I think Sam thinks he's doing the right thing by not holding on to the shield. His decision to put it in a museum is an interesting one. Because... Couldn't he have held on to it without necessarily taking up the mantle of Captain America if he didn't want to do that or wasn't ready to do that? So I think it's interesting, this decision to put it in a museum. And it makes me think about how museums operate what they're for. This idea of trying to hold on to history, trying to hold on to a moment in time to commemorate it, to memorialize it whatever it may be. And while we see by the end of this episode that that's not where that shield stays, it's interesting that Sam thinks that putting it in a glass case in the Smithsonian is the way of showing that it still belongs to Steve, that it still belongs to Captain America. It's really cool in general to think about how Captain America is an Avenger, the only Avenger, as far as I know, who has a museum exhibit dedicated to him. And speaking of that exhibit, I absolutely love the way that it's designed and laid out. And I love the way the camera moves through it while Sam is walking and talking with Rhodey. The way that it zooms in on Bucky's panel, on Steve's motorcycle, on the shining screens with the propaganda posters. The way that the scene is silent other than the dialogue. Again, it's reflective and quiet. You hear their footsteps. It very much feels like walking through a somber museum exhibit. And this conversation is really important to this episode, too. Rhodey says it's crazy to think nobody's going to be carrying the shield. Sam reminds him that there were 70 years when Cap was on ice and nobody was carrying it, and he thinks that they'll be all right. And Rhodey says that was a different time. Again, drawing our attention to this specific moment in time in the post-Endgame world. He asks Sam why he didn't take up the mantle, and Sam again repeats that it felt like it belonged to someone else. That someone is Steve. So it is important that Sam doesn't seem to think, or isn't saying that he thinks someone else among his peers would be better suited to take up the mantle of Captain America. Because he's so focused on Steve, the man who propped it up, it seems that he doesn't think anyone should be carrying the shield or taking the mantle. But, Steve, Rhodey says the world's a crazy place right now. People are, well, nobody's stable. He talks about alliances being torn apart, the world being broken. Everybody's just looking for somebody to fix it. And he says, it's a new day, brother. And there's something very powerful, too, about seeing this relationship between Sam and Rhodey. And while the MCU is a fantastical world, it also looks very similar to our world. We see New York, we see Washington DC, we see the Smithsonian, and we can't help but think about the features of our own world, which, while they don't necessarily play out exactly the same way in the MCU, there are oftentimes analogs to it. So, obviously, the blip, the post-Endgame world, was in play prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, but now it's really hard to not see the way in which characters are speaking about this collective trauma as being similar to our own experiences with what's going on today. And I have to imagine that some of that has made its way, um, not overtly, and I hope it doesn't become too overt, but has made its way into WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier in terms of the writing. And, you know, the other feature of our current world is a lot of cultural conversations around race and racial inequalities in america racial inequities in america and to see sam and rhodi in this scene not overtly addressing the fact that they are both black men in america and understandably might have a different relationship to the symbols of the united states of america than other american people perhaps like steve but That is felt in the way they address each other here and in the way that they are both honoring this legacy of Steve Rogers and the Captain America mantle. And it seems, you know, for Sam thinking about his place in this legacy at the end of that Smithsonian exhibit scene, Sam's reflection in the glass case that is holding the shield is really, really powerful. It's a really cool shot. Again, I really dig the directing in this episode. And again, his face almost seems to suggest that he regrets his decision already. So finally, the third standout scene for me in this episode is a Bucky scene, and that is Bucky's therapy session. I haven't done too much reading or listening to other podcasts yet for their takes on this, but a couple people in my personal life have specifically mentioned the directing choice to zoom in on Bucky's face and the therapist's face as they discuss. Actually, one of my students brought it up, mentioned how uncomfortable that scene was. And I think that, you know, she she really nailed it. I, I, I said that to her too, that I think uh, you're meant to feel uncomfortable in that moment. It's intimate. It's, again, quiet. It's something that shows, again, how this show really is taking its time with the characters, and I appreciated that. I also just love the scene of Bucky sitting in front of the mural on the wall with all of the trees. Really, really powerful, cool visual. So this scene is also functional in that it catches us up on what's going on with Bucky. We learn that therapy and this making amends program is part of the conditions of his pardon, that he's a civilian now. We know his three rules, that he's not supposed to do anything illegal that he's not supposed to hurt anyone and he's supposed to say, I am no longer the Winter Soldier. I am James Bucky Barnes and you're part of my efforts to make amends. And we do see one of the scenes in which he confronts the senator who abused the power that he, you know, helped her get her position. And the fake smile that he does is very, very good. There's an idea here about trust and Bucky's therapist trying to convince him that people can be trusted. We learned that he has been ignoring texts from Sam on his flip phone and later he talks about online dating and i'm not really sure you can use online dating apps from a flip phone maybe he uses a computer for that i don't know she says to him you're alone no history no family and bucky says this is new for me i didn't have a moment to deal with anything i had a little calm in wakanda other than that it's been one fight to another for 90 years which again i think does a really nice job of getting us into where bucky is at and how he's feeling And we also see the nightmare that he had in the scene prior to this one. We get the sense that this is a recurring thing for him, that he has these nightmares in which he's the Winter Soldier, again, dealing with that legacy of the Winter Soldier. And it seems not really knowing what he wants or what's next for him, right? There's an idea about redemption. There's this idea about the future. What's it going to hold for him? The therapist asks him, what do you want? He says, peace. And then she calls him out and says, it's bullshit. And that she was a soldier too. She says, if you are alone, that is the quietest, most personal hell. You've got your mind back. You're being pardoned. These are good things. You're free. And he says, to do what? So in Sam, we have this person who was given the opportunity, in fact, was asked to take on this position of power and responsibility. Steve asked him to take the shield and everything that symbol represents. And Sam didn't do it. Something held him back from doing it. I think we're going to continue to see more that will reveal why he didn't do it and why he probably regrets it now. And in Bucky, we have this person who has been fighting for so long and doesn't really know who he is and has what he didn't have for so long, which is this freedom, and he doesn't know what to do with it. Maybe he's looking for some responsibility. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what brings these two men together and how they relate to one another and how I think ultimately they are going to help each other in figuring out what their steps toward the future should be. That brings me to some questions or thoughts for next week and really for the rest of the season. What will bring Sam and Bucky together? Will it be the news of this new Captain America? We know that we're going to see Sharon Carter and Zemo. And at first I assumed that we'd see them in episode one, but now that we didn't, I'm curious about when they will come in. We saw Zemo on the list of names in Bucky's notebook, which is intriguing because it seemed like that was his list of people he wanted to make or needed to make amends to. So not sure exactly how that's going to work out with Zemo. It's going to be interesting to find out more about the Flag Smashers. Who is their leader? Who was that super strong individual with the long hair who beat up Torres? We're also going to find out more about this new Captain America. Is he a bad guy? Is he somehow connected with these Flag Smashers? I said earlier, it seemed that, uh, ideologically what the Flag Smashers seem to stand for and what the person speaking on behalf of the U.S. government and the new Captain America seem to stand for are opposites. But who knows uh, if they're both going to be nefarious forces here. So uh, there's a lot that we're going to find out. Will we find out more about the Avengers' finances? Will Bucky get a second date? You know, there were moments in this episode that aren't related to these bigger, heavier concepts that were also just really delightful and and continued to humanize Sam and Bucky and get us into this world, and I really enjoyed that. If you enjoyed this reflection on Episode 1 of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier... You can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in each Thursday to hear me and usually my guest of the week tackle the big ideas of the latest episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier.